Uh, and uh, last Sunday, we began a brand new Christmas series entitled The Lamb of God. And I shared with you last Sunday, this hands down is the most unique Christmas message I've ever preached in 31 years of pastoral ministry. As we began to study last Sunday, looking at Jesus, the Lamb of God, at his first coming as he was born as a baby in a manger, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, as his second coming, as we step into end times and the end time events, that I think anybody paying attention right now to what's happening in our world understands that we are at least in what the Bible calls the birth pains of the end times. We're in the birth pains of the last days. And so what we're going to do today as we kind of continue this study is we're just going to keep diving a little bit deeper into understanding Jesus, the Lamb Lamb of God's first coming, Jesus, the Lamb of God at his second coming, and what that really should do in us. And I made this statement last Sunday, and I want to reiterate this every week uh, through this series, and that is that I believe that end time teaching should not intimidate us. I talk to way too many Christians that when you talk about end time events, they become fearful and afraid. I literally have Christians tell me, Pastor Keith, I don't read the book of Revelations because it scares me. I hope, my prayer is that this series will eliminate that fear. That it will eliminate the fear that comes with end time understanding. And that instead of intimidation, there'll be an activation of the local church. I really believe the more we understand end time events, the more we should feel activated by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do that we would be about our father's business. So if you weren't here last Sunday, let me encourage you, go to our Facebook page, go to our YouTube channel, go to our podcast, wherever you're getting content, and listen to last Sunday's message as we kind of begin that understanding of Jesus, the Lamb of God, first coming, Jesus, the Lamb of God, at his second coming. Now, if you want to look with me, this is the first little point, just to recap, we kind of ended with this thought last week, that all end time events are rooted in redemption. When you read Revelations, you read Ezekiel, you read Daniel, you understand that all end time events are rooted in redemption. From the plague to the war to the chaos to the confusion that's going to happen in our world, all of those things are really a part of God's end time redemption. God has a plan of redeeming humanity and bringing us ultimately back, back to a place of reconciliation with Him. And so when you read end time events, understand that those events are redemptive in nature. God is not doing those things for the sake of punishing people. God is doing those things for the purpose of redeeming humanity and bringing people to himself. That is hands down the heart of God. The Bible says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the heart of God. And the Bible is a story of redemption. So all end time events are rooted in redemption. The great tribulation, as we talked about last week, sets into motion God's final act of redemption, specifically focused on the Jews, focused on the nation of Israel, and focused on the city of Jerusalem. It is Daniel's 70th week. And when you read of Daniel's 70th week, the last seven years on planet earth as we know it, you recognize something. You recognize that all of those events revolve about redeeming the Jewish people, redeeming the nation of Israel, redeeming the holy city 
Jerusalem. And so we're coming, what the Bible says, to the end of the time of the Gentiles. We're coming to the end of the church age. We're coming to the end of what's called the dispensation of grace. All of those phrases define this time in history where we're living, where you and I right now are experiencing the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and God's salvation is going out into all the world that whosoever will can come. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so we're in that age. And so that should excite us. That should activate us to recognize that we're coming to the end of an age, stepping into a final act of redemption that does focus in on the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. John chapter 1 is our foundational scripture. The Bible says, in the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So look at that first point. Let's kind of dive into this today. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, offered himself at his first coming. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. And look at this last phrase here, because this is really what we're going to deal with. He bore the wrath of God for our sins and brought us into a new covenant with the Father. What happened with Jesus as the Lamb of God at the first coming is he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world. God poured out on Jesus the punishment and penalty of the sin of the world upon his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. And so all of a sudden you begin to recognize what Jesus was doing as the Lamb of God when he came the first time as a baby in a manger. He was coming to offer himself a sacrifice for our sins, bearing the wrath of God and ultimately bringing us into a new covenant. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How many glad for some grace and truth today? Come on, somebody. We are saved by grace. Come on. And what a glorious thing that is. So I want us to look in Isaiah chapter 53 because in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah prophetically decrees what we just talked about. He prophetically declares that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would bear the wrath of God and the punishment and penalty of our sins upon his body. Listen to what he says. Who has believed our message and to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Now, I want to stop right there for just a second because I want to answer that question. Because the answer to that question is in the question. He asks two questions. He says, Lord, who's believed our message? And to whom is your powerful arm revealed? So here's the answer to that question. God reveals his powerful arm to those who believe his message. God reveals his powerful arm to those who believe his message. Think about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have believed the message of Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins have experienced the power of God. Can I get an amen? How many of you experienced the power of God to save you and set you free? To pluck you up out of the muck and mire of your sin and set your feet on a rock in a new place where you're no longer who you used to be. Come on, somebody. Nick talked about his story. He talked about when you look across this room, there are so many testimonies of the power of God being revealed from heaven. Why? Simply because we believed. We believed the message of his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sin. 
Well, what is true about believing the message of his first coming is also true about believing the message of his second coming. See, when you believe the message of his second coming, that the Lamb of God is coming again. He's coming as a victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming as a day when the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you believe that message, you know what happens? It releases God's power for you not to be intimidated, but to be activated. For you to be activated in an end time harvest. For you to be about the Father's business. As Rob talked about, to begin to enlarge your raft and build an ark and start bringing people into this thing called Christ. Into the local church. Into a place of faith where they're no longer dead in their sins. Lost without God. But now they're being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of God revealed? It is revealed to those who Believe. And I hope we got some believers in the house today. Amen. Look at that next verse, verse 2. Isaiah says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, speaking of Jesus, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. And there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God, born in a stable, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Nothing majestic, nothing beautiful, nothing amazing about his appearance. He walked and lived as an ordinary man. For 30 years, he was the son of a carpenter. And he came as a suffering servant. But he's coming again as the king of kings. Amen. Amen. Isaiah goes on in the verse, verse 3. He says, And he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Well, look at verse 4. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. Whose weaknesses? It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Whose sorrows? Our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sin. It was a punishment. It was judgment. It was wrath being poured out upon Jesus on the cross. But it was not a punishment for his sin. Look at the next verse. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. How beautiful. How powerful. How glorious. And all of us, the Bible says, like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly he was condemned, and he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Look at verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was God's good plan. King James says it was God's good pleasure to crush Jesus. Why? Because here's the plan of God. One man would die for all. 
so that all men could live for one. That's the good plan of the Lord, that he would lay on Jesus the sins of the world so that one man could bear the wrath of God for the punishment of sin so that all mankind could be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet when his life, look at this, was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, look at this, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. He will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. You know what David said in the book of Psalms? He says, blessed is the man to whom God imputes no iniquity. And blessed is the man to whom God imparts righteousness. The Bible says we are counted righteous, but how many of you know we're not righteous? I mean, just look in the mirror. Let me talk to your wife. Let me talk to your husband. Let me talk to your kids. There's no doubt you're not righteous, and neither am I. But Jesus bore the wrath of God's punishment for sin so that we who had sinned, we who were unrighteous could be counted righteous. We who were guilty could be pardoned and declared innocent. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, that's good news, guys. <laughs> that's about as good as it gets when you think about what God has done for us. In verse 12, he says, And I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, right? One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Jesus, the Lamb of God, when he came the first time, bore the wrath of God for the punishment and penalty of the sins of the world. But look at this next point. Jesus as the Lamb of God when he comes again will also pour out God's wrath on the wicked, on those who have rejected Jesus Christ, and on those who have entered into a covenant with the Antichrist. Jesus redeemed us and bore the wrath of God the first time. But the second time he comes, he's going to pour out the wrath of God upon those who have rejected Jesus and those who have come into covenant with the Antichrist. That's called the mark of the beast. And in the seven years of tribulation, there's going to come a time where people are going to have to make a decision. It's going to be a life or death decision. And they're going to have to choose, am I going to serve the God who made heaven and earth and his son Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, or am I going to bow and bow and, and pledge allegiance to the Antichrist, the false prophet, and those systems of this world? And people are going to have to make a very real decision. And in the last day when Jesus comes again, as the Lamb of God, he will pour out the wrath of God on those who have rejected Jesus and come into alliance and allegiance to the Antichrist. Let me tell you what happens when a person takes a mark of the beast. They're not only swearing allegiance to the Antichrist. They're not only coming into an Antichrist system where you can't buy or sell without the mark, but they are actually bowing down and pledging in their worship 
This is not just about a governmental order. This is about the worship of who is God, who is seated upon the throne of your heart. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, when he comes a second time, is going to pour out wrath, the wrath of God upon those who have rejected him and come into alliance and allegiance with the Antichrist. Look at me in Revelations chapter 6. We read Revelations chapter 5 last week. I hope many of you went home and read the book of Revelations maybe for the first time or with some new eyes and perspective. Listen to what the Bible says. As I watched the Lamb, who broke it? The Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice like thunder, like thunder come. And I looked and I saw a white horse standing there. And its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. Now most Bible scholars will tell you that the person on that white horse, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, breaks that first seal, the person on that white horse is the Antichrist coming into power and stepping into authority. I'm just going to read to you what the Holy Spirit gave me because I don't want to mess it up. I want you to hear what I heard. He said, Jesus, the Lamb of God, releases the first seal, allowing the Antichrist to step into power for an appointed time. This is Satan's last seven years to reign on the earth. Because since Adam and Eve sinned, Satan has reigned and ruled on the earth. Jesus called Satan the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And if you haven't recognized it, when you look at our world today, this is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of darkness. When you look at manipulation and destruction and chaos and murder and oppression and torment and all the craziness and chaos that is happening in our world today, it is because our world lies under the sway of the evil one. And since Adam and Eve sinned, Satan has ruled and reigned on the earth. And the kingdom of God has come within us so that God can reign through us. And our job is to take dominion everywhere that we go. Can I get an amen? But we also have to recognize that the world system itself is under the control of who Jesus called the God of this world. And it's not hard to discern that. When you look at governments and you look at politicians and you look at social systems that are set up in our world and how they operate out of an oppressive, tormenting, manipulative system that devours and consumes the lives of of people. This is not the government of God, folks, that we're seeing. The government of God, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom where justice prevails and not wickedness in the lives of people. Let me finish what the Lord gave me. He said, Satan has been oppressing, tormenting and deceiving the nations since the genesis of time. He has been stealing, killing, and destroying God's most prized possession. That's humanity. Heaven and earth declare the glory of God. But only you and I were created in the image of God. Only human beings were created to be image bearers of a holy God. And Satan has set out to destroy the image of God in the hearts and lives of people. So God's final act... God's final act of redemption, when he breaks that first seal, when he sets into motion that seven years of tribulation, when he allows the Antichrist to come into world power, listen to this, 
In his final act of redemption, God allows his enemy, the devil, to muster all of his strength for one final battle. There's a battle called the Battle of Armageddon where God will finally stomp out and wipe out all who oppose him. Again, remember, the tribulation is not the devil's heyday. It is his final attempt to overthrow the Lamb of God, but it is a divine setup. It is the Lamb of God setting into motion these things to bring final redemption to the earth and to redeem his people Israel. Salvation came from the Jews. Salvation will end with the Jews. And right in the middle, the cream and the Oreo, that's me and you. Listen to this. The tribulation is not the devil's heyday. It's his final attempt to overthrow the Lamb of God. But it is a divine setup. God uses Satan. Think about this. God uses Satan to identify and gather together all of his enemies for one final act of judgment. One day, the rebellious, wicked, antichrist world will gather around Jerusalem and come to make war with Jesus, the Lamb of God. And what, the de- what God is allowing the devil to do is to identify and gather all of those who have rejected Christ for one final act of judgment. This is a powerful, powerful time that we are living in. And this is a pivotal time that we understand what is happening. Why? Not so we would be intimidated, but so that we would be activated to understand what is coming on the world. Everybody you know that does not believe in and follow Jesus Christ is going to be subjected to a world system where they will have to choose life or death, Christ or Antichrist. And we have the hope of the gospel. And that ought to motivate us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That the Lamb of God who came the first time bore the wrath of God for our sins. So he could spare people from the judgment of God that's coming on the earth over those who reject Jesus Christ. We should love the people around us enough. To tell them the truth. We should love the people around us enough to pray for their souls. Because Jesus is coming. Verse 3, Revelation 6. And when the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. And another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And when the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. And I looked and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. And when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. And I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green and its rider was named Death and his companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, the famine, the disease, and wild animals. And verse 9 says, And when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. 
And he said, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been martyred. I want to give you some information. Right now, there are more persecuted Christians, and there are more Christians martyred for their faith than in any other time in history. I want you to look at this information on the screen. This was a study released back in 2000 by the Catholic Church. St. John Paul II, in preparing for the Great Jubilee year of 2000, created a commission for the new martyrs of the Great Jubilee. This particular commission researched and categorized all those who had died for their faith in the 20th century. And they discovered that the 20th century had produced double the number of Christian martyrs than all the previous 19 centuries put together. More people are dying now for their faith in Jesus than in all of history put together. What does that mean? Let's look at the next few verses. Verse 10 says, And they shouted to the Lord. And they said, O sovereign Lord, how, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer. Until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who, who were to be martyred, had joined them. Let me read to you again what the Holy Spirit said. He said, Keith, the great tribulation will produce great persecution for those who choose to follow Jesus as the Lamb of God. And the birthing pains, which is the season that we're in right now, the birthing pains leading up to the great tribulation will raise the bar of persecution in the local church. But there is good news. Y'all want some good news? Here's the good news. Persecution and tribulation is the breeding ground for revival. Right now in Ukraine, we have been supporting, we gave, Liberty Church gave $30,000 to the war efforts in Ukraine. And all of our money went to local churches and local pastors through our connection and association with NRP. Pastor Keith Tusi, I was on a conference call with him this past week. He just got back from Ukraine a little over a week ago, and this is what he said. He was blown away. He said, let me tell you what has happened from our support to these local churches. You know what's happened? He said, since the war started... And they've lost their homes, their churches, their families. These churches that we're now supporting have planted 14 new churches in Ukraine. 14 new churches in Ukraine. Why? Because persecution and tribulation is the breeding ground for revival. You know what happens in persecution and tribulation? Persecution and tribulation refines the hearts of those who believe. Persecution and tribulation brings a separation between those who are religious and those who are righteous. Between those who go to church and those who are the church. Between those who profess Jesus and those who actually follow Jesus. Persecution is a refiner's fire. And you know what James says about the refiner's fire? It causes us to come forth shining like pure gold. That's good news. Here's the good news. Persecution and tribulation multiplies the gospel. Persecution and tribulation spreads the gospel. You go back to the book of Acts. When persecution came to the New Testament church, they were scattered to the nations. And guess what they did? They took the message of the gospel everywhere they went.
Well, Pastor Keith, it doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't sound like that the birthing pains leading up to the seven years of tribulation is going to increase persecution and tribulation. That doesn't sound like good news. That's great news if you're following Jesus. That's great news if you have a genuine relationship with God because the fire of persecution and tribulation will refine you. And guess what always happens in the churning of a nation? The cream always rises to the top. And those who are committed to Christ will be more committed. And those who have a relationship with Christ will go deeper in their relationship with Christ. And those who are committed to sharing the gospel will share the gospel even more. And those who are committed to helping people and ministering to people and praying for people will minister and help and pray more people for more people than they've ever ministered or helped or prayed for before. Why? Because persecution and tribulation elevates. Let me tell you something. The more persecution and tribulation comes to the nation, the more valuable the church becomes. And that's good news unless you're phony. That's good news unless you're just playing games. That's good news unless you're just religious or you're professing Christ but you really don't follow Christ. And if that's you today or you're watching online and that's you, I want to just encourage you in this. Today is a day uh, to repent. If you're playing games with God, stop playing games. If you're putting on a facade and you're acting one way at church on Sunday and another way at home on Monday, you need to repent, get your heart right with God because the day of His wrath is coming. And let me tell you who Jesus was the hardest on. He was the hardest on the religious, those who professed but didn't possess a real relationship with God. It is a dangerous thing. And yes, it is a hell, fire, and brimstone scary thing for you to play games with God. It's scary. But if you're born again and you know you're living for Jesus, it shouldn't intimidate you. It should activate you because persecution and tribulation are the breeding grounds for revival. And we've got an amazing opportunity to bring the light of the gospel to a world desperately lost in darkness. And it's our honor and privilege to be about our Father's business. Amen? Verse 12, and I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black, came as dark and black as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. And then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green, green fig trees falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Now, most Bible scholars will tell you they believe this is a nuclear war. I'm probably wrong, but I don't believe that. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't believe this is a nuclear war incorporated by man. And let me tell you why. Let's read the next three verses, and I'll explain my perspective. And again. The Bible scholars are probably right, and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to share with you today what I think, based on the Word of God. Verse 15, and then everyone, who? Everyone. 
everyone, the kings, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they cried out to the rocks, to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, speaking of God who sits on the throne and Jesus the Lamb, has come. And who is able to survive? If this was a nuclear war, they would be saying, hey, what's going on with America? Somebody stop Iran. What is Russia doing? But nobody's pointing their finger at nations. Everyone is looking at heaven. And saying, somebody save us from the wrath of God and from the Lamb. Jesus, the first time, bore the wrath of God for our sins. Jesus, the second time, is going to pour out the wrath of God on those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Now let's look at our next point. Let's lighten the load a little bit. Everybody just gained about 100 pounds since you've been here. I laid a weight on you. Let me, let me lift it a little bit. Jesus, the Lamb of God, will also deliver born-again believers from the wrath of God. So Jesus, as the Lamb of God in the manger, bore the wrath of God. Jesus, when he comes again, will pour out the wrath of God on the earth and those who have rejected Christ. But Jesus will deliver... Those who are born again as believers in Christ from the wrath of God. This is called the rapture of the church. The lamb who was slain was raised from the dead and transforms those who are still alive. So let's talk about that first part. That he delivers those who are born again from the wrath of God that is to come. John chapter 3 verse 36 is speaking of Jesus and Jesus is actually speaking. And he says this, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus said, if you accept me, Jesus said, if you accept the Son of God, you're going to have life. But if you reject the Son of God, then you abide under the wrath of God. You're abiding under the wrath of God. Everybody you know right now that does not know Jesus, that's not been born again, is living under the wrath of God. And it's not that God is judging them and bringing wrath on them now. No, there's a dispensation of grace. But there is a coming day of wrath that will not be avoided except for in one way, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so Jesus himself says, those that reject me abide under the wrath of God. But Jesus died to deliver us from that wrath. Look at Romans 5 verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Colossians 3 6, verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of who? 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me read to you again what the Lord showed me. 
This last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let me just encourage you. You ought to go home and read 1 Corinthians 4. We're about to read some of it. And you ought to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 because the context of this scripture is end time events. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about the end of the age. It's talking about all of those things. So the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 is in the context of understanding end time events. And so Paul says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So, most Bible scholars agree upon the idea of the rapture of the church. The challenge is, when will the rapture happen? And my good answer is, I don't know. But this is what I believe. Let me share with you what I believe to be true. As we have already stated, hopefully very clearly, persecution and tribulation is normal Christianity. But when God pours out his wrath on the Antichrist and the world system that has rejected Jesus, I believe before that happens, we will be raptured into his presence. There's a difference between tribulation and persecution and the wrath of God that is to come. So whether that happens pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, you can decide for yourself. Either way, let me give you some good news here. Either way, we're not in the devil's hands. We're in God's hands. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Anybody following Jesus in the house today? And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. We're not in the devil's hands. We're in God's hands. And we shouldn't be intimidated. We should be activated. Understanding that Jesus is going to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Now, Let's read what the Bible says about the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Come on, somebody. And then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Sometimes you talk about the rapture of the church and people say, well, Pastor Keith, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. You're absolutely right. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The word trinity is not in the Bible. But we know there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the word rapture, rapture comes from the Greek word raptos, which is in the Bible. We just read it. The word raptos means, and we, those who remain will be caught up. Raptos, they will be raptured from the earth, and there we will meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. Look what he says, verse 18. So encourage, encourage one another with these words. 
He's talking about end times events. He's talking about all these things that are going to happen. And he says, hey guys, be encouraged. God has not appointed unto us under wrath. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's tribulation. That's normal Christianity. But there is coming a day when Jesus will pour out the wrath of God and God has not appointed us to wrath and we will be caught up in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Paul actually says that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Stephen, if you want to come. Paul says this, So now I say, brother, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. For behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Come on, somebody. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in there. I heard a Christian comedian say it like this. He said, if I'm alive when the rapture happens, I'm going to grab two lost people. And when we get up about 5,000 feet, I'm going to ask them, do you want to repent or do you want me to let go? <laughs> End time events shouldn't scare us. They should activate us. And I want to close with reading that last verse in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, listen to what Paul says. In light of everything he just spoken, listen to what he says in this last verse. He says, therefore, in light of everything we just talked about, in light of end time events, in light of eternity, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because end time events should not intimidate us. They should activate us. Because the Lamb of God has come. And the Lamb of God will come. And we get to be a part of that final act of redemption. How beautiful that is. What an honor, what a privilege God has given to us the church and as we draw closer to that day yes there will be persecution yes there will be tribulation but there will also be an end time revival because in the darkest night the church becomes the brightest light and people are going to look to you for hope now I want our prayer teams to come and I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning we're going to go into our final song of worship today I want to open the altar up this morning as our prayer teams come. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're battling with some things. Maybe you realize this morning, you know what, Pastor Keith? Maybe I've been playing some games. Maybe I have a form of righteousness, but I'm not really following Jesus. Maybe I've made a profession of faith, but there's really no 
life to my faith. And today I want to just, I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be sure. If you have questions about your salvation, if you're concerned about where you're going to spend eternity, our prayer team, we'd love to pray with you this morning. We'd love to pray with you. Let's, Let's eliminate the fear. Jesus didn't do what he did so you could live the rest of your life wondering if you're going to go to heaven. Jesus did what he did so you could have confidence that when you die or when the Lord returns that you are going to be ready to meet the Lord in the air. And if you don't have that confidence today, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you have lost loved ones. Maybe you have family. Maybe you have friends that you know are not ready for the Lord. And you know they're not ready for what's going to come on the earth. They're not ready for that life or death decision. And maybe today you just want to come and pray for them. Maybe you just want to come kneel on the altar. You just want to come and pray for your family, for your friends. Whatever the need may be this morning, the altar's open. Our prayer team is here. We want to pray with you. As we go into this last song of worship, let's worship him today. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I will worship your holy name, so bless
interested in playing games. I'm not looking for a religious ritual. I, I need God. And I believe Jesus died on the cross, bore the wrath of my sin, that I could be forgiven and free. And I believe today Jesus wants to deliver me from the wrath of God that is to come. And I want to accept Christ today. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand right now. Just a simple act of faith. I want to pray with you in just a minute. Raise your hand and raise it high right now. I want to accept Christ. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to receive that gift of eternal life. This is your moment right now. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji. Type in the chat box there. I'm raising my hand, Pastor Keith. We want to pray with you. We want to agree with you today that you can be spared from the wrath that is to come. So let's pray this prayer together, if you would. Everybody in the room, let's say it. If you're with us online, won't you just say it right there where you're at? Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus bore my sin and the wrath of God for my sin. I confess Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you and the gift of life through your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. We're going to let these continue to pray, but you are dismissed. We love you. God bless you. Have a great, great day in the Lord. And let's go make a difference. Come on, church. Let's go make a difference in somebody's life today. God bless you.